This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, co-founder of this podcast, Zach. Zach, how are you? Doing very well, Josh. We are very close to the end of this season, and uh, this episode is exciting. The next one, so this, this is obviously the penultimate episode of the season. The next episode, also very exciting, and they're linked even by, by name of the title or name of the episode. So we have half measures today, full measures uh, next week. Really, really exciting stuff, and I am very pumped to dive in with you. How are you? I'm good. So yes, this is Half Measures, Season 3, Episode 12. Next week, we'll be talking about Season 3, Episode 13, which is called Full Measure. And I think that, yeah, this, this, these last two episodes, just great. I, I, you know, I rewatched watched them back to back. This was one of those ones where the, the end of this episode is cliffhanger, a little bit of a cliffhanger, makes you want to go right into to the next episode. And uh, it ends with a really exciting moment. And yeah, I think even the next one uh, ends with an exciting moment as well. So I'm excited to talk through these. I think these are, I think without question for me, these are the two best episodes of the season. I, I know you might quibble with that. I know you're a particular fan of Fly. But I don't know, does, it, does that crack your top two of the season, thinking back on these? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard for me, honestly, to think of half measures and full measure as distinct episodes because they are so linked. Like you said, even the last scene in half measures really just goes right into full measure in a way that we don't normally see with Breaking Bad episodes. Uh, if that's the case, I would definitely have to put these in my top two in, in the season and, and maybe even ahead of Fly. I really do like Fly. I think there's a lot going on there that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. But uh, but there's a lot going on here, too. And it's super fun. Yeah, I do. I think you're right. If you look at these as like one episode, like an hour and a half block, then, yeah, this is definitely tops in the in the season because there's just a lot going on and there's a lot of exciting moments. Should we jump into the two minute summary from Wikipedia? Oh, let's do it. All right. So we'll do the two minute summary. Of course, we'll give our grade and then we will get into broader thoughts and themes before we get into our categories. So, two-minute summary reads, Jesse is ready for revenge when he realizes that the drug dealers who killed his friend are not only peddling his and Walt's blue meth, but are using Andrea's 11-year-old brother Tomas as a hitman and drug dealer. Jesse is prepared to kill them and wants Walt to help him out. Walt refuses, but realizing the danger Jesse has put himself in, takes steps to protect him. Hank, meanwhile, is still reluctant to leave the hospital and go home, even though his doctors have told him he is free to leave at any time. Jesse learns that the drug dealers have chosen to end Tomas's involvement in their activities by killing the boy, and decides to kill the two dealers himself. Walt hears about the boy's death on TV and realizes Jesse is planning something. Jesse confronts the dealers, and as he and the dealers get their guns ready, Walt arrives in his car and runs the dealers over. A shocked Jesse stands watching as Walt jumps out of his car, picks up a gun, and shoots one of the dealers in the head, telling Jesse to run. That is the end of the two-minute summary. Zach, this seems a little bit more detailed, especially towards the end, than what we've gotten. I mean, that, that, those last couple sentences are like beat for beat what happens. That's, that's interesting for a summary. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing because it's it's basically the very end of the episode that Jesse decides to kill the dealers the second time, I guess, right? When, when, right. He, when he decides to walk up, the dem- walk up to them and shoot them. 
and that's like the middle of this summary right yeah so we've we've like we've, we've broken down the last three minutes of the episode into like half of this summary here yeah which, which i don't necessarily think is a bad idea because there's a lot packed into there and that sets us up indeed for full measure the next episode um and, and i think this is actually written fairly well um you know there's a there's a few things i would quibble with i don't know if i would describe uh tomas as a hitman just because he was <laughs> like he was put put up to do to one thing once um but uh but uh, yeah i think i'll give this like a i don't know probably a solid b what do you think yeah i, I was gonna say b minus yeah he he and mike ermin trout are, are both uh the, the two hitmen of the series so tomas and mike you know, if uh, Saul doesn't have his normal guy, maybe he'll go with Tomas. Yeah, it's it's a fine summary. I think there's the there's the problem that we've had before, which is like some of the pronouns we're not exactly sure who they're talking about. Right. You know, they they sort of just, there's a lot of hims and he's that you're like there's a lot of males in the series and you're not exactly sure who they're talking about. Yeah, and do you know the do you know the grammatical rule here for for this? What's in the first sentence where we have peddling his and Walt's blue meth? Because that always sounds so awkward, but I don't know if it's grammatically correct. I mean, it's the the kind of thing that like if I'm writing this, I just avoid that phraseology entirely and I find another way to say that. I don't know if it's if it's technically wrong, but I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is technically correct, because if you were to remove and Walt, right, it would still read correctly. Yeah. And I think that's typically the rule when it's like, you know, so and so and I or so and so and me, whatever sounds grammatically correct, were you to remove the other subject? Yeah, yeah, would be correct. So I think it is right, but it definitely reads in incorrectly and i would as as you do avoid it if i had the choice right yeah so i'd give this one a b minus it's okay but yeah and i think that it, they do a good job the only thing that they leave out that i think is important especially character wise is that jesse f- falls off the wagon and and up to this point you know he has been not using any drugs as far as we know this entire season and right before he tries to confront the two dealers he uh uses the blue meth and i think that that's important because it shows sort of the state of mind that he's in not only to use it but then what he's about to do like he can't fathom having to do this himself without using because it'll put him in a different headspace and i think that that's a key point with jesse because he was an addict before that this is not a good path for him to go down. We know what, what it's been like, you know, with him on this path before. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I would also say that this synopsis omits the very important central conversation between Mike and Walt. Yeah. I know, I know we're going to talk about that, but there, there's a big thing revealed there, which is that Mike is also working for Gus Frank. That's something that, that Walt had no idea about. Yeah. Uh, And, and I love the reveal there and we'll talk about that, but, this summary also just completely omits that. And also yeah. the fact that, you know, the no half measures or the half measures title of the episode comes from Mike telling Walt no more half measures, Walter. Um, so it's, it's pretty central to the plot and to admit it, I think is, is not good. So actually in light of that, let me downgrade it from a B to a B minus. Yeah. And I'm going to downgrade from a B minus to a C plus. Oh man. Okay. Look at us talking through this and being like, well, it's not as good as we thought it was. <laughs> not as good. All right. Well, let's move on to broader thoughts and themes. Zach, did you have anything that you picked out in this episode that you want to touch on? Well, just actually, you kind of already mentioned it, right? The, the synopsis, um, forgets to point out that Jesse fell off the bandwagon. He was in recovery. He, uh, I mean, I guess technically he's still in recovery just because he slipped up once doesn't mean he's not in recovery, but he, uh, you know, he's, he's back down to step one in the, in the 12 step process. Um, and that speaks to a bigger aspect of this episode, I think, which is that this episode is really to me about Jesse 
Um, Walt features prominently in it. I just talked about how Walt has this big conversation with Mike Ehrmantraut. But to me, this is a Jesse-centric episode in the sense that the character development we're seeing is entirely about Jesse. There's a scene where he stands up to Gus. There's obviously the scene where he tries to kill the dudes the first time, tries to kill them the second time, falls off the drug bandwagon in the meantime. And, and so he goes through this sort of um, this transformation in a way, uh, you know, fighting inner demons, et cetera, and fighting outer demons like Gus Fring. And, and I think he does a really good job, Aaron Paul, that is, playing Jesse and just portraying this character transformation. But I think it drives home the point that that we've seen developed, especially in the past season and a half of Breaking Bad, that Jesse is a person who is just such, you know, there's so much conflict inside of him all the time. He's always pulled between two worlds. He always feels the tension between, you know, what he wants to do versus what he should do. Uh, and, and it really wears on him. And, and I think, unfortunately, the direction that he goes in this episode is, is not a good one uh, for his moral character. Yeah, I just think that this this episode is just another uh, entry into the the sad chronicles of Jesse Pinkman's life. I mean, it seems like he's finally getting somewhere. He's finally, you know, turning a corner, and then he meets Andrea in in the last episode, and and he learns that, you know, he that her brother was involved in the killing of his friend, and and it just sort of sends him back to this like horrible, horrible bottom dwelling place where he's spent so much of the time that we've known him as a character and i just find that that cycle sad and it i think what it helps is you know it helps the audience to want to continue watching the character watching where he goes because a character at the bottom consistently is not something that would be that interesting so we know eventually he's going to pull himself up again and and i think that that's a, an interesting way to sort of look at this character as we move forward all right so should we move on to uh to best writing i think that this let's start with best writing instead of best scene this time we have the the same nominee here no i, I have i'm sorry i have a different one than you um, but i think we both uh agree that that the one i chose is, is central point you already you already talked about it a little bit the the mic speech but let's start with yours because you know we're on the topic of jesse uh, so give me your nominee for best writing yeah, sure. So my best writing actually comes from the end. Uh, I don't have a clip to play it because it is it's really not even dialogue centric. It's just about how the writers of the show kind of built the storyboard here. But this is at the end of the episode or close to it when Jesse has stood up to Gus Fring. That's a scene that we're, we're about to talk about because I know we both nominated that as our best scene. So Jesse has stood up to Gus Fring because Jesse stood up to Gus Fring, Gus Fring has now told his henchmen no more children. So Jesse is, uh, I, I don't want to say he's, he's uh, you know, proud of himself necessarily, but he's done something right, which is, which is something unique for Jesse. Uh, maybe not totally unique, but he's often disappointed himself for not doing the right thing. And here he has, he stood up to the most, uh, most powerful kingpin in probably the entire American Southwest, um, very much risking his life to do that, to tell him, you're a professional, you're not supposed to be using kids, this is totally wrong. And, uh, and so he goes home to, uh, maybe not home. I think he goes to Andrea's house, um, his girlfriend and the older sister of Tomas. And I think what he has to, what he's thinking about, right. Is how, you know, obviously he's been through a lot, but, but fundamentally what he did save Tomas from a life of crime and probably from falling into the same pattern of life that Jesse himself has fallen into. But sadly for him, and this is what I like about the way this episode was written here. Um, the very next thing we get 
is Andrea getting the phone call from presumably a, a first responder of some sort, policeman, EMT, whatever, uh, dispatcher, to tell her that her brother has died. And we put two and two, two, and two together, and, and, and uh, Jesse sees it. Um, but the, the kid is dead. Uh, Tomas has been killed, presumably by the very same henchman who Gus Ring said to stop using kids. And so the reason I like this, I mean, obviously not like, like, the, like what's happening here, but the reason I like the portrayal is that this shows us yet again like how difficult it is for Jesse to get out of this vicious cycle that he finds himself in repeatedly. He finally did the right thing by standing up for this kid and trying to save him. But paradoxically, the very act of him trying to save Tomas is what made Tomas find himself right in the center of these guys' um, you know, sights anyway and, and ultimately get killed. So, you know, we've seen before Jesse recognize I'm the bad guy. Now in this episode, we see him really being the good guy, sacrifice or almost sacrificing like being, being willing to sacrifice his own life for Tomas. And what does he get for it? Nothing but Tomas being killed brutally by these guys. Uh, so I can't even imagine what kind of spiral this sends Jesse on, you know, even further down. But but the, the frustration that the viewer feels watching this, at least in my case, is palpable, right? I mean, just like you're you're rooting for Jesse the whole time. He does the right thing. You're like, yeah, go Jesse. And then there's just a sucker punch of Tomas being killed precisely because Jesse did the right thing. And it's really tough. Yeah, I, I think let's let's actually go back a little bit because you mentioned the scene, you know, where Jesse stands up to Gus and this was both of our nominees for best scene and, and we're going to hear a little bit of it. But the reason that I chose it as my best scene is because it's it's a character choice that you're not expecting. And it's a confrontation that you're not expecting to go the way that it goes. And instead of Jesse sort of just saying like, okay, I'll I'll do what you want, Gus, you're clearly the one in power here. He makes the opposite choice. So we're going to hear a little bit of that conversation here, and then we can talk through a little bit more about why we chose it as our best scene. Yeah. And I'll just say that the scene itself was much longer. What I'm starting with here is Jesse saying no, but that's after Gus has, you know, told him, look at me, you know, no more of this. Do you understand? And, and then Jesse says, no, no, Jesse, pardon me. These kids, these assholes of yours, they got an 11-year-old kid doing their killing for them. You're supposed to be some kind of a reasonable businessman. This is how you do business? You okay with this? You got anything to say here? So I think that this scene is, is really important because we have seen Jesse before, you know, stand up for children. And, and it's almost really, uh, like, sad that Walt doesn't because Walt's the one with kids in real life and he doesn't make any effort to sort of like put a stop to this. I think here it just shows sort of the courage and the bravery that Jesse has in standing up to Gus because, you know, Walt is sitting down, he's sort of cowering in his seat and Jesse's the one who, who makes a stand here. And I find that really interesting. And we're going to see a scene in in the next episode that we'll talk about next week where Jesse also seems to be like the rational one. And that's that's unusual for their relationship, like a rational, thoughtful, like caring person. And even Mike, who is the the hitman, the killer uh, for Gus, is sitting behind Jesse and he even makes a face that's like, what? What did you say? You you told him no, and that is like really telling because it's it's a 
turn that I don't think that you would expect the first time you're watching this. Yeah, it's clear that no one has ever said that to Gus before, or at least no one said that to Gus and lived, right? Like everyone in the room is surprised that Jesse just said no when he does. It's it's really a powerful moment. I mean, I would say a good nomination for best moment. I have a different one, but, uh, you know, I very well could have gone with that singular two-letter word, no. Yeah, and I wonder, too, if you think that this is because Jesse doesn't have, like, he doesn't feel like he has anything to live for if he can't protect like a child or a person he cares about, like he clearly cares about Andrea at this point. Like, do you think he he's okay with knowing that he could, you know, be killed for this? Yeah. I mean, I guess I would like to say yes. I'm not sure if he's even thinking that far ahead. I think a lot of this is emotional and not uh, intellectual for him, but I still think that that doesn't make it any less admirable. You know, because he's still trying to do the right thing. The fact that he is acting on emotion means that his conscience is intact, that he recognizes the grave injustice that's going on here, and that he is willing to do something to try and stop it. Whether or not he's thought through all of the consequences, you know, I can't say for sure, but, but I think he's, at the, at the very least, acting out of a gut impulse that is honorable. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, well, let's shift back to my best writing, because I think this is the central uh, theme of the episode and will be the theme of the next episode as well. And basically, uh, Mike shows up at Walt's house and tells him a long story. And, you know, this is when he reveals that he actually works for for Gus and not for Saul directly. And the story, uh, you know, is is basically a story about uh, a decision Mike made when he was a cop and how he feels like he made the wrong decision. And I think that this story is going to influence Walt in ways that Mike didn't even even anticipate. So we're going to hear a little bit of that monologue that he gives. Again, these Breaking Bad monologues are very long, so we're only going to hear a small part of it. I think the scene itself probably lasts three or four minutes of Mike yeah. just sort of explaining the story. But uh, we're going to hear a little bit of that now. Yeah, and um, the story, just for those who have not seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, is about uh, Mike, when he was a police officer, uh, dealing with a repeat domestic violence offender and, you know, using what he calls a half measure to try to scare this guy straight. And he basically threatens to kill him, has the guy say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, etc. And at the end of the story, two weeks after that, he kills his wife. Uh, and so Mike obviously regrets not having followed through with his threat previously. Uh, you know, regrets, in his words, only using a half measure. So that's the whole story. And as you said, Josh, it's super long and in the style of Breaking Bad. So we, we couldn't actually do the whole monologue. But here's just the very end of it where Mike distills the lesson from his long story for Walt to hear. The moral of the story is I chose a half measure when I should have gone all the way. I'll never make that mistake again. No more half measures, Walter. Yeah, so this is great because I think it's, you know, what ends up happening is that, you know, Walt 
uses very uh, strong action to eliminate these two drug dealers at the end of the episode. And, and he later tells Mike in the, at the beginning of the next episode that the reason that he did it is because you told me no more half measures. You've got to follow through. And I, I think this is not at all what Mike had hoped <laughs> Walt would do. I think that his hope was that Basically, no more half measures in working with Jesse. I think it was his his point. Like, stop working with this guy. He's a liability. Just cut him loose. And Walt takes it the complete opposite way and doubles down on protecting Jesse. And I think that this just becomes an important thing because I think it changes Walt. Like, hearing the story and then seeing it put into action. Because at the end of the episode, when Walt, you know, runs over these two drug dealers with his car... One of them doesn't die and he gets out of the car and he takes the gun and he finishes the job, which is not something we've seen at all. And I think we talked back in in season two when Jane died that that was sort of a turning point for Walt. I think this is also a, a continuance of that turning because it takes something extra to physically do something to someone else and to to run them over. Yes, you could say it's in self-defense, but then when the person is lying there defenseless on the ground, Walt has to make a choice to pick up the gun and shoot this guy. And I think that that is sort of like the final turn in his 180 here that that points him in a certain direction because he's not remorseful at all about this. And so I find that that moment really interesting. And I think it all is spurred from this speech from Mike. So just one clarifying question, when you say that Walt takes it in the opposite way that Mike intends because Mike's talking about cutting loose Jesse. Walt takes it to mean, you know, go and kill these, uh, these guys yourself. Uh, you're not suggesting that Walt like accidentally misunderstands what Mike's saying, right? You're just saying that, that right. yeah, because I, because I would agree with that. I mean, I think Walt knows exactly what Mike is saying, but he's like, no, Mike's right, but his prescription for me is wrong. What right. I really need to do is stop taking half measures and like take command of the situation, et cetera. I, I what I meant by that is I don't think Walt had thought about it in those terms before. Yeah. In terms of in terms of he is all in at this point and he needs to protect those who are closest to him. I think he thought I can just keep getting by by saying like, oh, you know, Jesse's fine. Don't worry about him. But he has to basically uh, put up or shut up, and he decides to put up here. And and I think that that is what happens at the end of the episode. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned the uh, you know the next episode how Walt refers to this, right? Mike, you said no more half measures, and Mike's response is funny, but it's something like, "Yeah, funny how that can be so open to interpretation." <laughs> In his very like, I can't do it, yeah. but his very Mike Urban Trout way. Which, by the yeah. way, this guy has a really good voice. I like that monologue Great is voice. just really really good, and I could just listen to him, you know, read me an audiobook or something at a nice slow pace. Yeah, I'm glad he got. Uh, some more to do in Better Call Saul. We see more of his backstory in the, so in the prequel series. Um, but I think this episode is is a little bit of a coming out for him because we don't we haven't seen much to him. We don't we don't know much about his background, and we we learn a little bit more about what made him the way that he is. And I think that this moment, you know, it's a three four minute scene, but it tells you a lot about the person that we're dealing with here, which is a testament to the writing of the character and the moment. Anything else on this before we move on? No, I think we've covered it. Okay, so let's move on to best moment. Zach, I'll let you kick this off uh, with your best moment of this episode. Sure. This, I mean, very, very simple, very short. This just links to what we were just talking about, actually. So prior to that whole monologue, I just think this moment you just mentioned, Mike's, this is kind of Mike's coming out party. 
this is where Mike is revealed to Walt. We've known for a while as the viewer, but where he's revealed to Walt as more than just Saul's PI, or as our Wikipedia summaries like to say, uh, Saul's cleaner. <laughs> and because uh, up to this point, Walt's like, oh, this guy is kind of Saul's Saul's strongman, right? Uh, his PI, whatever. Um, and then Mike comes by, says basically, Saul told me about your plan. Uh, we're not going to do it. And then he tells Walt to Walt's surprise why he's not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because it's moronic. Saul said you've done things like this before. That's not the moronic part. Okay, so what's the problem? The problem is the boss wouldn't like it. Saul, my boss. Your boss. I just love this moment. Uh, again, watching a reveal where a character just realizes something that the viewer has been in on the whole time. Uh, and to Walt's credit, he has a pretty good poker face. He doesn't he doesn't even need to ask a clarifying question. He's a smart guy. He understands instantly what Mike is talking about. And that kind of changes everything for him, right? I mean, not everything, but it changes the whole calculus of what he's talking about. He realizes that most of what he tells Saul and schemes up with Saul is also known to Gus Fring. So it's probably making him feel a little more boxed into a corner, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, that sets up the whole conversation about half measures, et cetera, that we just talked about. So really like that moment. I thought it was very well done. Um, Honorable mention here uh, on the best moment category. Uh, I also liked it when Walt was talking with Skylar about how they're going to make the money laundering work out and how they're going to make it kind of look passable to people in the community, et cetera, people who know them. And they're talking about how maybe Walt can come over for dinner like once or twice a week. I think they settle on four nights a week with two hours notice or something like that. Um, but Walt goes on to say that, like, you know, I think it would be best if, you know, I was no longer estranged from you and I could be around all the time, et cetera. And, uh, and Skyler gives this like smirk and she's like, oh, and now it's suddenly a fantasy story <laughs> and <then> walks <laughs> off pretty funny. Yeah, that's, that's a good moment. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that when Mike was was talking with Walt when he's like, you know, my boss, your boss, the boss. And then Walt's like, Springsteen? You're talking about Springsteen? That would have be, been perfect. <laughs> it would have been a totally different show. Okay, that so my... Like a, uh, that would have been a Hank level answer, though. Hank would have said yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So my best moment of the show is very, something very small, but we get this moment where Walt is in the office with Saul, and they're chatting, and Walt is sort of playing with this, the Lady Liberty, uh, Lady Justice scales of justice, and he's sort of like tipping it. And he's like manually pushing it down. And it's a very small moment, but it's something that caught my eye when I was watching this. And I don't I don't know exactly what to make of it other than the fact that Walt seems to think that he can it, it's sort of it's sort of um you know evidence of a broader th- theme that Walt seems to think that he's in control of of everything like if the scales are not going the way that he wants all he has to do is put his finger down and tip it the way that he wants which is not the case but it is something that that Walt seems to think and it's just a small visual moment that I picked up when I watched it for this time that I that I really liked as my best moment yeah I completely agree with you I mean I I would just put it very simply uh, as this little vignette shows a character who believes he is above the law because the only person the only person who has the prerogative of you know to tip the scales of justice in one way or another is someone who is you know literally and figuratively above the law so that they can reach down from their perch on high and place something on the scales of justice in one way or another. And that's exactly what Walt is doing in this, in this scene. So it's a great call out by you. I didn't even think about it 
until you put it as your best scene or best moment. And then I was like, oh, that's a really, that's a really good call. I didn't even think about it in that way, but this is totally showing how he believes himself to be above the law. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Zach, any nits to pick before we give our MVP for this, this episode? Yeah, I've got a few. One, I don't know if you noticed it at the end when Jesse is using uh, using meth before he tries to go in and kill these dealers. The camera goes blurry a couple times as it's looking at him. I think it's supposed to be kind of showing us his, not his perspective per se, but uh, kind of convey to us something that his you know, vision, his mindset, et cetera, is going through, but I just don't like it. It came across as kind of cheesy. I think it's, you know, when you, when you kind of play tricks with the camera like that, it can be a really easy way to date the episode immediately. Uh, and so I, I didn't like that. I don't, I don't think that holds up very well, you know, 10 plus years later. Um, and then also at the end, I don't understand maybe, maybe what I'm just overlooking is Jesse's blind rage here. You can, you can help me out if that's the case, but his first plan to kill these guys was very elaborate. Um, and, and pretty, I mean, I think pretty like foolproof from a sort of, um, liability standpoint. And that was to poison them with ricin via the food that they got from Wendy, um, the prostitute who, who brings them food frequently. Now he's come all the way around to, after they know who he is, by the way, and they know that he wants to kill them. He's come around to walking up to them when they have a vantage point on him from like 60 meters away, uh, with a gun in pretty plain view. And there's two of them who also have guns. So like there's, I, I mean, as this, this scene is developing, it's a good thing Walt shows up for Jesse's sake because there's no way he gets out of that alive. So I'm just wondering, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a small knit, I guess, but it's kind of major in the way that it factors in the plot. Like why was Jesse's second plan to kill these guys so stupid when his first one was so well thought out? Yeah, I think you, you I think you hit the the nail on the head with the, his blind rage and I think that this could be a moment where he just doesn't care what happens to him. He wants to inflict damage on them and if he dies in the process, so be it. You know, I think that's part of the reason why he uses the meth before he goes out. Like he needs a you know, sort of like uh, false courage that he needs to build up here. So I think that's probably the reason. I think that the the blind rage coupled with the fact that he just doesn't care what happens to him uh, leads to this. You're right. Very silly and careless, reckless plan. I think that's probably the best explanation. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I do have one more need to pick. I totally forgot about this one's very, very small, but when uh, Marie Hank and uh, Walter jr. AKA Flynn, AKA breakfast are in the hospital playing a card game, Marie is humming and the humming is totally dubbed after the fact it's completely fake. <laughs> Uh, and you can tell because she's, you can tell she's standing totally still and not making any sound. Because even when someone's humming, if you look carefully at their neck or throat, you'll see some modulation going on and, yeah. and there's nothing at all. So she's clearly making no noise and they added in some humming after the fact. Uh, yeah. So, so I thought that was not super well done. And I, I give that a demerit. I thought you were talking about when I read this in the notes, I thought you were talking about the other Hank and Marie scene, which also seems very fake. We don't have to get into the details, <laughs> but it also just the whole thing is just so silly. I was I like, just don't, what, I, you know, what is I don't the really understand why it's in the episode. I don't like, either. The, these, these small scenes that, and there's a couple other ones here just seem so inconsequential. Like the whole point is that Hank finally leaves the hospital, but like we could have cut three minutes out of the show and not had that second pointless scene. And, it's really not even that funny. Like, I think it was meant to be maybe humorous, but maybe. I didn't find it that funny. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's like, I'm glad that, uh, I'm really glad Marie loves Hank and, uh, yeah. that's wonderful. I don't need to see that or even like right. see a scene that has that innuendo. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So my only two nitpicks, there isn't, there's just an annoying moment with Walt Jr. at the beginning of this where, you know, they're, they're, Walt is is driving with Walt Jr. and he's getting ready for his driving test and and Walt says hey, Walt Jr. says hey can you pick me up on Saturday at you know whatever eight thirty and Walt says I'll be there with bells on and Walt Jr. is like what does that mean uh, what come on you've never heard that expression before like he's he he's old enough to know that he doesn't mean with actual bells on his body that that moment is so stupid to me in the episode it's probably not a nitpick but it's just really. Walt Jr. not getting the MVP vote. You're really not a fan of Walt Jr. Poor guy. No. The other nitpick I have is at the very end of the episode, obviously the climax of the episode is when Walt drives his car into these drug dealers, essentially saving Jesse's life. Now, my nitpick with this is Walt would have to have been coming at a pretty high speed for a good distance. And these drug dealers don't hear a car speeding towards them. I mean, like he doesn't hit them at 10 miles an hour. I would think that they would. And and we as the audience aren't clued in until the last second either because it's more dramatic. But I would think that the characters would at least look up, you know, with a little bit of time to try to get out of the way. Am I missing something? Are they high? They just totally ignore it. I don't know. So, first of all, they're definitely not high. These guys are professionals, Josh. Can you tell by the way they <laughs> So is Jesse. <laughs> um, no, they definitely could be, uh, could be high on their own stuff. Uh, the other yeah. thing I would say, though, in their defense, I mean, I think it's a valid nitpick, but the only thing I can think of that could explain that is this um, idea called target fixation. And mm-hmm. I've, got a, I've got a little story to illustrate this. The idea is, in target fixation, your mind gets so, you know, your, your whole sensory apparatus, right? Uh, your, your vision, your... Uh, hearing etc gets so fixed on one thing that it tunes out everything else and it's a very natural like fight or flight thing to do right because you give your full attention to one thing so if there's someone walking at you with uh, walking towards you with a gun you're probably going to tune out a lot of the other stuff around you unless you're you know trained to adapt to that situation etc but my my one story on target fixation back in my air force days for listeners uh, i'm not a pilot and this story will probably illustrate why uh but (laughs) i was in a flight simulator and I was flying some, I think it was like an, you know, an A-10 simulator or whatever. An A-10 is a, no, it, no, it was a, maybe it was like an F-16. It was an air-to-air um, simulator, right? So I was, uh, I was flying it around and there was a, a bogey, you know, an aircraft that I was in an engagement with and trying to, to follow and track and shoot down eventually. And uh, it was, you know, flying around me and it would pass me and stuff. And I was like, okay, I got to keep target lock. And so I, you know, turned, turned around and I was doing these circles and all these, um, you know, aerobatic maneuvers to try to keep it on lock. And right as I was lining it up for a shot, uh, the simulator basically, it it seemed to me like it crashed or it froze or something. And I was like, what happened? And the simulator guy was like, you flew into the ground. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, this is a common thing. We see it all the time. It's called target fixation. You were so focused on, you know, shooting your missile and shooting down that bogey that you didn't even see the ground. Um, so as I said, this story probably illustrates why I'm not a pilot. Uh, fortunately, that never happened to me in real life, but uh, I never forgot the lesson, which is a very important one, target fixation. So that's the that's okay, one thing that's I can totally say fair. about yeah, what, what could have happened there. Yeah, totally fair. I, I totally buy that. All right, Zach, let's move on to our MVP to wrap up this episode. Who is your MVP pick for this episode? Yeah, so this might surprise you, Josh, but just to recap what we describe as an MVP, right? Not necessarily the best acting performance, not necessarily the most prominent person who had the most screen time, et cetera, but the person who kind of carries it along, gives the episode momentum, gives the episode kind of kind of shape, prov- provides the contours of what's happening. And for that reason, I'm going to give it to Mike. We already mentioned that this is his best episode so far. We're getting more of his backstory. He's more prominently featured in this. 
Um, the reason I give it to him here is one great acting job. So that's always kind of a, it's not the, it's not the sole um, criterion for MVP, but it's kind of a necessary part, right? You can't really give the MVPs to someone who does a bad acting job. So uh, I think the really good acting there for the monologue, but more fundamentally that uh, no more half measures line really does a lot to set up everything that happens in this episode, especially with respect to, to Walt and, and Jesse. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to give it to Mike Erentra. And that is his first ever uh, in the uh, in the series here. Well, I'm going to give him his second ever because I was okay. going to go with Mike as well. And I think I think to just add on to your point, it's not just this episode that he influences. It's future episodes as well. And I think that that is the key point and sort of having watched the next episode and knowing what's coming in the series. Like, like I said, I think this is a turning point, another turning point for Walt. And I don't think that it happens without Mike trying to intervene here to try to get him to turn the other way. So for that reason, Mike is going to get my MVP vote as well. All right. Go Mike. All right. So he is at, he is at two. He sadly moves ahead of the fly from <laughs> a couple episodes ago, who will be stuck forever at one. But you know, the fly still ahead of Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, with zero. Zilch, never. Zach, anything else from this episode, episode 12 of season three, Half Measures? That is it, but I'm very excited for next week, Josh, when we can talk about full measures. Yes, we will be back next week with the final episode of season three, that is Full Measures. Until then... If there's anything we missed, please reach out to us at breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And until then, I'm Josh. And I'm Zach. Have a great week. 